3: luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
4: Hey, listeners, just a quick note before we start. Like everybody, we are doing all of our interviews remotely these days, and so there is a bit of an echo on some of the audio hopefully most of you won't hear it all right here's the show
5: hi i'm kim france and i'm Talia abecasus and welcome to everything is fine a podcast for women over 40 we're here today with melissa clark the new york times food columnist and all-around legend Melissa reports on food trends. She introduced the world to the deep-fried Twinkie, creates recipes, and appears in cooking videos linked to her column, A Good Appetite. She's written several cookbooks of her own. The most recent one is Dinner in French. Welcome, Melissa. We're so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. So excited.
4: (laughs) It feels like a really big deal to have a cooking expert at this point in time because everybody's freaking out about cooking. And so I wanted to ask you, how are you coping? Because it feels like a very challenging time to keep coming up with recipes and to keep people excited.
0: Actually, it's kind of, you know, in terms of um, getting people excited about cooking, it's a great time for that. I mean, bad circumstances, but a great time for um, people actually getting into their kitchen and needing to learn how to cook. You know, we've never been a society so dependent on cooking for ourselves as we are now. And so people who never cook or maybe who cook every once in a while or they only cook dinner, you know, for friends, like they only cook for dinner parties – Now we all have to cook pretty much every day, three times a day, if not just for ourselves, for our families also. So this is a pretty heavy lift for people who are not used to cooking and it's getting the conversation going and people are really, you know, they're into it. They're so into it. And it's, you know, food is actually one of the few joys we have right now that we're like, Hey, mealtime, you know, it's, it's, we can, we can eat. I hope, I mean, I know I'm indulging. I think a lot of people out there are baking and indulging and eating and making cocktails and drinking and, you know, we'll, we'll go with what we have
4: (laughs) it's true except that I feel like for the first two or three weeks I was so excited and I was doing everything and I was getting really creative and then I I definitely petered out a little bit but it's true it's a good way of looking at it that it's a it's an exciting time how are you approaching recipe writing right now
0: So I'm sort of doing it in two different ways. So I have my normal column, which is, you know, a good appetite in the times. And that one, I'm trying to just keep that as if there was no pandemic going on. I mean, not really, like I do allude to it in the column, but I'm keeping the food in my normal vein, which is pretty creative. And I'm trying to get it, you know, to keep it interesting for people. But then I'm doing another column, which is called cooking from the pantry. And that is something that's geared to people who... Um, maybe are new to cooking or newer to cooking, and it's focusing on pantry staples. So what are you going to do with those beans that you bought? You know, you, you bought, you stocked up on all that pasta. Um, let me give you some more interesting ways to use it that are still very simple. Or even like my latest column, I did one on roast chicken and then using the bones immediately to make stock. So super simple things, but that people are actually doing now. Like, I mean, a lot of times in the past, I think people would have probably either thrown out their chicken bones If they weren't used to making stock on a regular basis um, or maybe throwing them in the freezer and then, you know, made a big production, made stock like once a month. But what I'm trying to do is get people into um, the kitchen ecosystem, get people into, you know, we're cooking every day, we're there every day. So let's start building habits that for once make sense with our, our brand new lifestyle, you know
5: hmm This has been a really revelatory time for me because for the past, I used to be a pretty good cook. And then for the past 10 years, I just dropped out of it entirely. And so this has been pretty exciting for me. I would, I would have to say, I mean, it gets a little exhausting and I live alone. So whatever I eat, I eat for the next few days. Yeah. But um, I am curious what you think of spatchcock chicken, speaking of roast chicken, because my brother is obsessed with spatchcock chicken. <laughs> I'm totally I bet
0: it's because he just him. wants to say it. Oh, I know. I right? think so too. It just sounds so dirty. <laughs> yeah. It's just not. It's just a chicken with its backbone cut out. Um, I love spatchcock chicken. I, in fact, I probably make spatchcock chicken more often than I make any other kind of roast chicken just because it's so fast. And yeah, I like really? that. Yeah, it's really fast because what you're doing is you're opening up the chicken. So a normal chicken, you know how that cavity on the inside, right? So it's like the inside of that cavity is um, in a way it insulates the chicken. It keeps it from cooking really quickly because there's air in there and it doesn't get as hot. So imagine taking you take the chicken, you you cut the backbone up. You open it up and you, the cavity disappears. So you're cooking more of the chicken is touching the hot baking pan. So you have better heat conduction and it cooks faster. And it just gets so crispy. The skin gets so crispy. And because the breast is a little bit raised up and the legs are really flat on the pan, the legs cook in the same time that the breast cooks. Normally, you, know, you have that divide, like you make a roast chicken and the breast is like maybe a little dry by the time the legs cook through, Right. You always have that like, Mm -hmm. but with a, with a spatchcock chicken, it all cooks evenly and it cooks in like 35 minutes or, or less, depending on your, the size of your chicken. So yay, spatchcock chicken. The only tricky thing is you have to, you know, be willing to get up close and personal with your chicken and cut the backbone out, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is which is definitely like a barrier to entry for many people. I understand. Um, I know Trader Joe's sells spatchcock chickens. I don't know what the lines at Trader Joe's are like these days. I have been shopping um, very locally, so you know, obviously, we're all <laughs> no one's getting on the subway, but. Um, I can't get a spatchcock chicken in my local store. So I would, I, and I don't mind cutting the backbone out, but I know some people are like, ew, I'm not touching that raw chicken with a scissor, scissor.
4: Cause you need the scissors. It can't be done with a strong knife.
0: Oh, you could do it with a knife, but that's harder. Okay.
4: I don't have a lot of skill with raw meats. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. the
0: thing, right? But I mean, if anyone is curious, you can just go online and watch a YouTube video. I have made one myself. Many people have. And it's really, once you do it once, you're like, oh yeah, that's not hard. It's just, you know, like I said, getting over the squeamish factor. Mm. Now, tell
5: me, what is your favorite underrated ingredient?
0: <laughs> I mean, I am, I am the anchovy queen. I love anchovies so much. I don't know if they're underrated anymore. Do you guys feel like there's like an anchovy renaissance happening that people are all of a sudden starting to love anchovies? Or do you feel like they're still maybe not as popular as they should be? What is your take on this? I
4: feel like everybody has one friend who knows that they're really good and that like that person knows what to do with them. I don't actually know what to do with them.
5: I know a lot of anchovy deniers, just people who will not abide in anchovy. But if I cook and put an anchovy in a recipe, I would guess they wouldn't know it was there. They totally don't know it's there.
0: So my daughter should know that there are anchovies in her favorite pasta recipe. I cook it in front of her all the time. I don't hide the anchovies. I don't call it pasta with anchovies. I, mean, I call it pasta with garlicky breadcrumbs, but I also put anchovies in those breadcrumbs. So... I don't know. Am I lying to her? But yet she, she has no idea they're there. She, she will tell you she hates anchovies. But it makes it so delicious. And the more anchovies I put in those breadcrumbs, the more she likes it. So I think that um, – and she's an excellent palate. So I really do think that people think they know what an anchovy tastes like and they think it tastes like that gross thing on a pizza that they had when they were seven and they were so disgusted because those were really – bad anchovies that's the problem yeah anchovies are associated with pizza yeah bad pizza like bad pizza yeah but if you have really good anchovies they don't taste fishy and they and when you put them in something they totally dissolve you really don't know they're there you just get this like um, umami yumminess mm. now what is your favorite
5: maybe trendy overrated ingredient
0: um preserve lemons are those overrated <laughs>
5: that's funny i order from a cheese market in essex market that has preserved lemons and i got some because that felt like a sophisticated cook thing to do
0: (laughs) i think they're great i love them but i do i mean my boss sam sifton for the time said you know what no more preserved lemons for a while okay let's just we're just gonna take a little (laughs) breather and let's just not (laughs) not do i feel like they're just lemons lemons are i mean lemons are the best no i mean the preserved lemons i feel like they're just lemons right they're just lemons that have you know f- gotten funky and fermented and salted <laughs> yeah, okay, so what do you cook for on days when you can't be bothered anchovy toast or sardine toast that is our absolute you know we had that last night that is our i don't want to cook meal and uh, and your
4: kids will eat that
0: no dahlia won't eat that no because of those then she can see the anchovy so she's not going to eat that no what did she have last night when so i'll make that for my husband and myself and she will have um you know, a sausage or something. I like pull something out of the freezer or a sausage. Mm. I think I, or like a quesadilla or okay. a piece of toast with just cream cheese on it. I don't know. I'm a bad, <laughs> when it comes, <laughs> sometimes I'm just like, Oh, you're fine. Just have some cheese cubes. I feed her like a mouse. Sometimes she's 11. I'll cut up cheese cubes and just put them on a little plate with like cut up tomatoes. And she...
4: <laughs>
5: she's probably thrilled. She's
4: totally fine. It's the best meal
5: ever. I was about to ask you, I've accumulated an abundance of tin fish, and some of it's kind of fancy. I have this tin of grilled branzino, and I have no idea what to do with it. I think that. I
0: have that same—oh, my God, I think I have the same tin. I have also <laughs> a, a tin of grilled branzino. I was like, why did I buy this? What is this? <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it either. Um, okay, my guess is it's going to go right on toast, so— Or pasta. I think it'd be good either in the anchovy pasta recipe or on toast. Um, My feeling is that if I did that on toast, I would do a homemade mayonnaise underneath. Homemade mayonnaise. Whoa. Extra delicious. Homemade mayonnaise. Do you have a blender, Tali? Do you have a blender? Homemade mayonnaise is the easiest thing in the world. I swear to God.
4: Really? Yes. I do have a blender. Yeah.
0: It is so easy. And if you like mayo, it will change your life. It is so good. And we always put garlic in ours and make it an aioli. And it's just okay. like, I mean, my daughter, when she asks for a BLT sandwich these days, she'll be like, if I don't get out the blender first to make the mayo, she's upset. Like, if I pull out the helmet, she's like, <laughs> mom. <laughs> when you said that, that
5: she was eating cheese cubes, I thought the cobbler's children have no shoes. But I can see that's not the case <laughs> at all.
0: It depends. You know, sometimes she gets treated. Like today, She she's really into um, tamagoyaki, which is a Japanese egg omelet, you know, that you get for sushi you know that oh mm-hmm. it's, it's
4: sweetened yeah it has
0: mirin in it exactly yeah. so I, I, sh- I have learned how to make that for her so she gets oh, plenty nice. of she's spoiled rotten in her ways but then yes, yeah, some nights she does just get cheese cubes
4: so what <laughs> you put like egg yolk egg yolk probably an oil in a blender or something
0: for the mayo yeah for, exactly yeah it's it's seriously it it's so easy I wrote I a big article about it so if you look it up you will and you read it you'll see it's just the easiest thing
5: I am one of those people who absolutely, like, gags on store-bought mayonnaise, but I like homemade mayonnaise, especially aioli.
0: Yeah. A a, lot. A lot of people are like, I actually have a lot of friends who are like that. They can't stand, I mean, I can see why, you know, jarred mayonnaise. I mean, I like it, but I can see it's gloppy. It's not to everybody's taste, but homemade mayonnaise is so good.
4: Kim, that may be the most bougie thing you've ever said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's an accomplishment I know because you have said a lot of bougie things and you know what else can I just say preserve lemons chopped up and put into homemade mayonnaise now that is beyond you put your tin fish on top of that on your toast and you are You're living set. you are living so I'm sure
4: a lot of people want to know also what produce right now lasts the longest
0: yeah this is a thing um So we um, are big into celery salads right
4: now. Oh.
0: No, they're great. I mean, celery is one of those veggies that, like, you know how you always have celery in the fridge and it's just always fine? Like, it's there, like, you buy it and it's a month later. It wilts. It it wilts, but it's pretty much fine. You know, it doesn't...
5: Yeah, I still use it when it's soft. Yeah, it's, yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it doesn't get rotty. It gets a little soft, but it's not like lettuce that's going to get rotty. So it'll stay, um, and you can always revive it if you just soak it in a bowl of water. Anything that you have that gets a little soft, any veggies, throw it in a bowl of cold water. Like if your carrots or radishes get a little, like, you know, mushy bowl of ice water for 10 or 20 minutes and it'll perk it right back up.
5: I actually discovered that by accident the other day because I joined a CSA and they sent me some kale and a ton of unidentifiable root vegetables, but they sent this kale that I didn't use in time and it was looking really sad and I put it in some cold water to get the, get the dirt off and everything and then it was perfect. Yeah,
0: it just perked right up. Yep, exactly. So I do that a lot. Yeah, we we have the f- same thing with the kale. You know what works really well? If you And this is like this, you really have to get into the groove of this. This is like talk about that sort of kitchen ecosystem, right? You get your CSA box home, which is what I do, and you clean all the vegetables at once, you put on your music. You're just like, I'm getting into this groove. I'm gonna get into this space of cleaning my veg, clean everything at once. You clean your kale, you take it off the stem, you throw it in a plastic bag. You take those root vegetables, you scrub them, or you throw them out if you really know you're not gonna eat them. And that way, you, they, they don't look at you again.
5: <laughs> oh, they're they're staring so hard at me right now. You triage them immediately the second you come in the door. You're like, okay, chokes into the
0: trash with you. I will not. I got salsafy the other day. I'm like, and it just stared at me from the fridge for weeks and. Finally Finally, it got disgusting and I threw it out. I'm like, you know what? From now on, I'm just going to throw it out immediately so I don't have to have that guilt. Um, But then if you do clean it all, then it's waiting for you. And it just makes it so much easier to use everything because on those nights you're really tired, your kale is there. And it's like, oh, all you have to do is saute me with some garlic and that takes five minutes. So as opposed to like cleaning and, you know.
5: How do I clean leafy vegetables in Corona times?
0: Okay. You don't have to worry about. So this comes up a lot. Food is not a vector. There's no coronavirus in your food. I mean, if you took that, say that somebody sneezed, someone who had coronavirus, coughed right on that kale leaf and you rubbed it in your eye, maybe you would get it. But (laughs) (laughs) it's not really a vector for food. Um, The plastic bag, it came in, you know, take it out of the plastic bag and wash your hands. But it's also, even that is not such a big deal. Like the big thing is being in a room with a bunch of people who aren't wearing masks. But as far as your your leafy vegetables, don't even worry about it because it's just not a vector. But yeah, don't rub uh, it in your eye, just to be sure, just to be safe. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Okay. Well, it does
4: sound like a lot of work, but I'll, I'll do that. Okay, so now another thing that we're thinking about a lot is going through the foods in our freezers. What does six months in the freezer do to something like hamburger meat? Like, let's say I've dug down to the bottom and I found some older frozen
1: meats.
0: Right. What, it's fine. What can I... It's fine. It really yeah. is fine. I mean, if... Okay, say that you take it out and you defrost it and it looks kind of gray and weird. Mm-hmm. I would say mm-hmm. that is when you want to make it into chili rather than making it into a burger. <laughs> you want to add, like, a lot of stuff to it and hide it. But it's fine. You're not going to... As long as it's been frozen solid and it's not like the freezer has... Accidentally gotten unplugged and then it thawed for three weeks and then you plugged it back in. Like, as long as it's been solidly frozen, it will degrade in quality, but it's not going to be dangerous to eat. So, you don't need to worry about it. I mean, mostly it's the texture that's going to be a little funky, but if you're right. making something okay. like a chili or any kind of braise, so you have a piece of meat that's in the freezer and you're like, hmm, it's kind of gray. Just if you cook it for a long time, so find a recipe where it It's supposed to be cooked for a long time and then with like spices and stuff. So like maybe you have um, like a chunk of lamb that's been in there forever or like a piece of pork, just make it into a curry, you know, or like a braise and Mm -hmm. then you know it's going to be fine.
5: I always heard that that's how chili got invented was like out west when they were on the trail and they had meat that was about to go bad, they would turn it into chili.
0: I don't know. I think chili was already a thing. I think they'd use the fresh meat too. I feel like yeah. there was already, you know, in the Southwest, there was already a taste for using lots of chili peppers. Like it was already so much part of the diet. So I think that, mm-hmm. however, it will keep, I mean, if you add a lot of spices to something, it does keep longer. You know, if you put it in the fridge, something that is highly spiced and highly salted will last longer than something that isn't. So it does preserve it, but it's also just delicious and worth using your nice, fresh, freshly killed venison or whatever you're, you've got out on the range <laughs> when you're.
4: It's definitely not in
0: my
5: repertoire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your venison chili. <laughs> yeah, no. What is freezable that you wouldn't think is freezable? People are also, you know, people are definitely um, interested in their freezers again, which is great. Um, everything is freezable, like eggs. People don't think eggs are but What? Yeah. Raw eggs or cooked eggs? Raw eggs. What? Yep. Take them out of the shell first, crack them into a container, and throw them in the freezer no way. Wow. Yep. This is mind-blowing. That is pretty mind-blowing. And you know what else? Half and half, all dairy products are going to be, I mean, so you know how you buy a thing of half and half and you don't use it all, all up in your coffee and you've got like half of it left and you're like, this is going to go bad, throw it in the freezer. It may separate. So when you thought it, it may separate. It's not going, it won't go bad, but it may separate. So what happens when it separates in the freezer is that it loses its emulsification. So it, the fat breaks out. So sometimes you might see little lumps in it. But it's not spoiled. It's just a little lumpy. And all you have to do is throw, it, take that half and half out of the freezer, thaw it, and then throw it in the blender for like a minute. And it's going to mm. de- re-emulsify it. Same principle as mayonnaise. It just brings it all back together. And then you put it in, in a little pitcher in your fridge and you're good to go. But not milk. Milk. Like regular. Even milk. Yep. Even milk. Even milk. If you're doing like a low-fat milk, it won't. Eat, there's not enough fat in it even to separate out. So it'll be totally fine. But if you use whole milk, then there might be some fat to separate out.
4: I'm going to tell you that my dad has found the thing which is not freezeable, which is lettuce.
0: Yeah, you're right. No, you can't freeze lettuce. <laughs> Did he tried. really try? <laughs> he,
4: if he would have salad left over from one dinner where we were all visiting him mysteriously, it would show up at the next dinner, really wilted, and we'd be like, "Isn't this the same salad as last time?" And he's like, "Yeah, I froze it."
0: Oh God, no, really. But anyway. That's my dad. <laughs> That is a crime against food. That is one of those crimes against food. That um, yeah, don't freeze your salad. Don't don't do I it. Know.
5: I want to hear more crimes against food.
0: I was thinking about that. So I was thinking about this. I had um, I was talking to someone. I did a Facebook Live earlier today where I was talking to um, someone, and we were talking about crimes against food. And he was like, "Well, what do you think about like blueberry bagels?" And I'm like, "You know, I'm cool. <laughs> I'm cool with blueberry bagels. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, but what I what is not okay with me is like something like." A blueberry bagel's fine, but like an old bagel or a bagel that's been like left to get stale on the counter and then you try to toast mm. it, that's a crime against food. The fresh blueberry bagel, that is okay with me. So I think it's just like or like frozen salad, mistreating a perfectly good ingredient. <laughs> that makes sense.
4: We're going to take a quick break
2: for some ads. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much.
1: Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. And Hiya, Sarah absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long. And I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it. Do it.
5: Welcome back
4: to Everything is Fine.
1: I
5: feel like the world is divided between people who have Instapots and swear by their Instapots and those of us who have not ha- gotten an Instapot yet. Where do you stand on them? I wrote
0: two Instapot cookbooks, so I am So oh. you are <laughs> pro. I am, <laughs> so. I am pro Instant Pot. I believe. But, okay, I've learned a lot about Instant Pots from writing these cookbooks, and they're not great for everything. I mean, people wanna put everything in their Instant Pots. They're like, I'm gonna roast a chicken in my Instant Pot, which is a really bad idea. It's instant pots or just any electric pressure cooker. We shouldn't just say the brand, but they're good for things that are wet and soupy anyway, because it's a wet and soupy environment. So they don't do crispy. They don't do brown. So I always say, don't ask it to, and you'll be you'll be happy. Mm. Um, beans, you, all those dried beans. It is great. It makes the best beans. It really does. Cause you know, when you cook beans on the stove and sometimes some of them are, are nice and soft and some of them are still kind of hard and crunchy. You're like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. The instant yeah. pot takes care of that because of the pressurized environment. So, I love it for that. I love it for braised meats also. It gets it re- meats really really tender and it does it quickly. But you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to use it for things like like a roast chicken. It's just that's just not going to happen cuz I just don't think it's good.
4: I don't have an Instant Pot, but I have a slow cooker. It's the
0: same thing. Um I always say that an Instant Pot or an electric pressure cooker is like a slow cooker except instead of slow, it does it fast. But it's that same right. moist, wet environment where You just And also the same convenience of just plugging the thing in and letting it do its thing. And it used to be, I used to say in the olden days, I'd say, well, yeah, you know, you could just plug it in and then like go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Back then. Back then. But now you can say, oh, you can just plug it in and, you know, I don't know, take a nap or go for a run. Quietly weep. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Cancel all your vacations, your summer vacation plans. Yeah. Um now
5: what are what are the five ingredients a cook should always have on hand if you can narrow it down to five.
0: Okay, well, anchovies, but not for most people, that's just my personal. <laughs> um mm-hmm. garlic, uh lemons. I always think uh, well, you know, of course, salt and um olive oil, and then what's the and then I mean I mean, is it pasta? Is it rice? Some kind of carbohydrate starchy thing so that you can use all those other things to cook whatever the thing in the last thing is, right? You need your salt, your lemons, your olive oil, your garlic, and then, so that's all your flavorings. And then you need the thing that you're going to cook it with. So whatever your, is it, are you a rice person? Are you a polenta person? Are you a pasta person? And then you need that thing. And then you've got everything. Then you're set. Of course, butter would be good in there too.
5: You can choose more than five. Yeah,
0: so butter, <laughs> for sure. I would, um, beans, if we're going to expand the pantry a little bit, beans, tinned fish, and you know, Parmesan cheese is another thing. It's just like, oh it's such a yes. flavor booster.
4: Very, very big line item in my family budget, Parmesan cheese.
0: Yeah, it's worth, and it's worth spending the money on the good stuff, too. It makes a difference. Now, I put
5: Parmesan cheese in everything, including a pasta <laughs> that I make with tuna, which I know a lot oh, of people yeah. would look down on but because you're not supposed to mix cheese with fish but that's
0: okay right you know those italians they have all their rules you just have to ignore them (laughs) they won't even be mad at you for doing it just don't call it an italian pasta dish just put take your pasta and do your thing and just like as long as you don't say this is an authentic you know pasta with you know tuna uh, pasta a la tono whatever you're good um i think Cheese and fish is perfectly fine. I love, you know what's really good? When you take, Um, you just even bake like a piece of cod or something and you'd make Parmesan breadcrumbs for that on the top. Oh, like that's yeah, so yeah. delicious. Nice. Like, you know, and, and think about bagels and lox, one of the greatest fish and cheese combinations in the history of cooking, cream cheese and, and lox. And it is fantastic. So I think, I think you can do fish and cheese. Good. I feel free now. <laughs> yeah. So um, a
4: big thing right now has to be substitutions, and I feel like we have to talk about that. What are the most common things we can substitute if we don't have all the items in a recipe? And I know that's probably pretty broad, but...
0: Well, if you don't have anchovies, you can use, <laughs> you can use chopped <laughs> olives or capers because you need the saltiness. And so I think... Um, For dairy products, this comes up a lot when you're baking. You know, if you don't have sour cream, you can always use yogurt or you can use milk with a dash of vinegar in it. You know, you need something to to get the sourness. If you don't have one kind of bean, usually another kind of bean is going to work for you. Well, it's funny you say that
4: because I noticed that in the Times, there are so many white bean recipes. And white bean seems to be something that is actually in short supply. Everything is kidney beans. And is that just because of the aesthetics, that it looks nicer to have a recipe photographed with white
0: beans, but that it actually doesn't really matter. Kidney beans have a much more intense flavor than white beans, so you might want to season it slightly differently. White beans, I don't think they're necessarily prettier. I just feel like they were fashionable for a while. Like, everybody was doing white beans, right? I think it was just one of those fashion moments. No, because recently I've been looking
4: for bean recipes, and I noticed on the Times it was
0: all white beans. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you can use, and you've got kidney beans laid in? Yeah.
5: I've got so many kidney beans, so many kidney beans. Yeah. yeah,
0: you can print, you can go ahead and use, just change, you know, when you're salting it, kidney beans are, are, they might take the seasonings differently. So just, you know, taste as you go. Another weird thing about kidney beans. Oh, you have a slow cooker. Oh, okay. Kidney right, right. beans are bad in the slow cooker.
4: No, but they're, a lot of them are canned. So Oh, if like they're canned, I'm then you're fine. The- yeah,
0: yeah. Then you're yeah, totally okay. fine. If you're with canned beans at all, you know what, it's all you can pretty much do whatever. Yeah. Why are all the canned kidney beans still on the shelves though? That's weird.
4: I have a friend who works in dry in dry goods, and he said that white beans are in short supply, and so they are putting out more kidney beans.
0: Interesting. I wonder why yeah. that is. But yeah, if so, anyway, all those white bean recipes use kidney beans, especially if it's canned. It's fine. But are
4: there are there like secret chef substitutions that we don't know about? Because my family, we've been watching um, the Great British Baking Show. And for a meringue, they were using the liquid, I don't remember what they called it, the liquid from canned chickpeas. Oh, the aquafaba. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? They're making vegan meringue with aquafaba or whatever. Aquafaba, yeah. And I was like, are there all these secret things that we don't know about that chefs
0: know about that is a weird thing no chefs didn't even know about that that was like a weird vegan discovery I just I don't know how people figured that out that is one of those things it's like you know the first person to eat a lobster like why would you do that the first person to take the water (laughs) out of a can of chickpeas and make it into meringue (laughs) I know like what but it works it works pretty well I mean it's not as good as egg white but if you're vegan and you want a meringue it really does work pretty well it's got the
5: same viscous texture as an egg white.
0: That makes perfect sense. I guess so. Well, maybe I guess that's so. Why.
5: What about ginger? Ginger seems pretty tough to get your hands on
0: these days. Oh God, I, I should. I'll mail you some. I have so much ginger. It's so funny. I just, <laughs> I just got some in a big, you know, I'll one of those I'll mail you some too. Boxes. So for things like ginger and garlic and onions, all of those strong-flavored ingredients, you can kind of substitute one for the other. I mean, the dish is going to taste different, but it's still going to work. So if you don't have onions any of the other allium groups, leeks or shallots. Of course, if you don't have onions, you're probably not going to have leeks or shallots. But, you know, also you never know what you're going to run out of before your next supermarket trip. Um, mm-hmm. Garlic and ginger, you can kind of use interchangeably. They both are very pungent. And again, the dish will taste different, but it'll still, you know, have that like zippy thing that you're looking for out of those. Soy sauce, if you don't have soy sauce, um, you know, think in um, what are things that kind of tastes like each other so what are you looking for in soy sauce is the salt right so you want to find another Mm. salty ingredient with an umami kick so maybe you're going to use you know parmesan and some some water or maybe you're going to use anchovies or you're going to use Mm -hmm. um a little fish sauce you know to kind of give your dish that roundness and that flavor um acids like if you don't have lemon you can use vinegars if you don't have vinegars you can use lemon lime those are all easy to substitute for each other
4: and what can you substitute for butter? Some of these are questions from our Instagram because we ask people to send in questions. And one person said, we are going through butter like water. What can we substitute?
0: Oh, God, I know. Me too, because all that baking. Um, coconut oil works really well. Right. Coconut oil. Right. I would say that's the closest. Butter is like kind of a miraculous substance because of the, the way that it's, um, it's chemical structure and the way it's emulsified. Like the fact that it stays solid at room temperature Like other oils turn to liquid, right? So if you're using butter in certain baking recipes, the closest thing is coconut oil. Also, you know, a lot of baking recipes you can do with oil instead of butter. If you ever have a recipe that calls for melted butter, because you've turned that fat into liquid, you could use any kind of liquid fat to replace it. So like, you know, like a flavorless oil, like, you know, safflower or whatever, or olive oil even. I use olive oil in baking all the time. Huh. Yeah. And that works.
4: And then somebody wrote in also with what are the best tasting baking substitutes for people who have allergies? Because a lot of the substitutes make things dense or pasty, they said.
0: Turns what on are the what, best
4: tasting ones?
0: Yeah, I don't, it depends on what your allergies are. It's hard to generalize. I know, it. I actually... Well, if if somebody has a gluten allergy. Yeah, If well, I mean, then you got to get your gluten flour mix. Gluten flour mixes work really well. As so does as almond flour, just ground up almonds, works In a lot of cases, um, it depends on what else is in the, in the recipe. Like if you have a cake recipe that has eggs in it, it's probably going to be okay with a gluten-free flour because you, you're going to get some of the, the lift from the eggs. I mean, not necessarily. It really does depend. Oh, I have a great recipe online on the times if you're gluten, um, if you can't have gluten and you want a cake, I have a really nice rice flour pound cake up there that I got from, um, Bien Cui is this, um, bread bakery in Brooklyn and the chef's recipe from that place. And it's great. And it's all rice flour. So it's also uses coconut oil and butter, but you can do it with all coconut oil. So it can also be vegan. Oh, no, no, it has eggs. Wait, can't be vegan. Scratch that. But it can be uh, if you'd run out of butter.
5: (laughs) Um, Now, one of my favorite things about the Times recipes is the comment section. Um, because I love reading what liberties people take with the recipes, but some of them, like someone will write in, my husband hates goat cheese. So I smashed up a banana. And do you ever want to look at things (laughs) like that and just say, that is batshit crazy. All the time. Oh, my God.
0: People are like, I love when people make fun of those, too. They're like, um, okay, so I made the roast chicken, except I used a squash. And (laughs) I didn't have the, you know, the garlic. So I took an old boot and ground it up. And sometimes, I mean, when they're earnest and when they're actually writing what they did, it's cool. I get ideas from there all the time. I'm like, really? You did that and it worked, huh? Hmm. File it away for the future. Um, And also it's helpful for me because it's like I know what works for people and what doesn't. If people are like, this recipe used 14 bowls, it was too complicated. Like, okay, you know, it's just good to check in to see what real people in the real world are are doing with the recipes. Right.
4: Um, Somebody asked, she wanted to know about ramen. She said, you know, she can't get the real deal right now and packaged ramen is awful. Is there an in-between solution?
0: Yes, totally. So you should buy the packaged ramen and throw away the package, the the little flavor pack, (laughs) but keep the noodles. (laughs) (laughs) And and then make your own because it's really easy. If you have good broth, ramen is just about flavoring the good broth. And um, I forget, I think it's like, you know, soy sauce, ginger, a little bit of, um, I mean, if you have dashi or seaweed um, Mm -hmm. or even like granular seaweed, like the stuff in the shaker, you want to flavor that broth really intensely. And then mm-hmm. you've got your ramen noodles from the package. So buy the package, throw out the flavor pack, and use the noodles. There's so many ramen recipes online. Scallions, I right. think, go in there. And it's just not hard right. if you're buying the broth.
5: In a panic, I bought a box of ramen. Like, not a box of ramen, a box full of individual ramens. Oh my god, Kim,
0: what are you going to do <laughs> with it all?
5: I don't know. It's, it's just taking up room in my pantry. And I was in a White Hawk panic. I was like, yeah. I will never eat again. <laughs> I must
0: order all the food. Yes, I, that is, I, you should see, so I did that same thing and I have, you should see my, my pantry is really embarrassing. You know what I bought? Stress bought a case, 12 boxes of diamond crystal kosher sea salt, 12, of uh, kosher kosher salt, <laughs> 12. And you know, have you seen how big those boxes are? They're like, each one is like as big as a phone book. Remember phone books? <laughs> but that'll take you years to get through. Yeah. Well, but I'll never run out. I I panicked. (laughs) I couldn't get it. I went to three stores and nobody had it. And I was running. I was like, I can't cook with Morton's. I need diamond crystal.
5: (laughs) I actually have my my extra bedroom has become an an auxiliary pantry because I've run out of room in my pantry. Yeah, that that's is. You're going to get get
4: hate mail for all the hoarding. I mean, I
5: haven't done crazy hoarding. I just have like I happen to have a very small pantry. Oh, Fair. Fair.
0: I mean, how many rolls of toilet paper do you do you consider a good amount to have in storage without being a hoarder? What is the uh, what's the threshold there?
4: Oh, wow. This is a divisive question.
0: <laughs> I don't have an answer. I'm just wondering. I'm like, do I have too yeah. many? Am I hoarding? Like how many is too many to have?
4: I feel like there's the public facing answer and the private answer. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, probably 10 is fine. Meanwhile, I'm like, I probably have I don't know, forty. <laughs> Do you have forty rolls of toilet I paper? I don't actually know. Well, the other thing is I think I told you my dog is eating them accidentally. She will secretly grab them and shred them. Oh, and so no. it's a big problem. Oh my god. I know it's the worst problem. Yeah, dogs don't
0: don't know from toilet paper. They don't need it. Dogs don't know from
4: quarantine. Yeah. We're like, this is a hot commodity. You can't take this. Someone asked for less hands on saute based meals, things you can prep ahead of time and pop in the oven so you can spend time outside. Although I don't know what.
0: Outside where? I guess. That's what I I mean. I don't know what they mean. Lucky them. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are people who live in the country and can go outside. Tally, I
5: sort of think of you as living in the country. I know that's not true, but I mean, compared to me, you live in the country. You have a backyard. You have a backyard. I do have a
4: backyard. I do have a backyard, but it's city living. Like we it's a townhouse. It looks kind of like Brooklyn, like where all the houses are attached, but there's a very tiny backyard for the dog and for uh a few plants. But we are going outside probably more than you are in New York.
0: Oh yeah, so wait, you're in you're, you're in I'm in Montreal. Oh, you're in Montreal. Okay, and so do you I know are there the same kind of restrictions or Um I think it's
4: less intense. Um It's not a shelter in place because we don't have that vocabulary, like that terminology here, but it's, you know, you're only supposed to be going out for essentials and schools are canceled and everything's closed. I mean, it's the same type of thing, but it's,
0: you know, I don't know. Are you guys adjusting or do you feel like you're about to lose it? It depends on the day.
5: Yeah, I mean, I had a couple bad days this week, but in general, this has not been, aside from the panic and the fear, this has not been a terrible time for me. I have to say, just being quarantined, I work at home, I live alone, the shift didn't feel that, I mean, it felt monumental, but it didn't feel like a a paradigm shift as far as how I live, which is kind of crazy.
0: That's what my (laughs) husband says, too, because he works from home, and he never leaves the house anyway, um, except to go running. (laughs) So, like, he's like, his life really hasn't changed. I mean, the, the big thing is not being able to go to restaurants for, you know, for us, but... You know, I feel I think I feel it more. And of course, you know, school age child who is actually quite happy to have unlimited uh, screen time. So, you know, I know
4: (laughs) (laughs) I have uh, an 11 year old and an eight year old. They're happy, but they want to go back to school. And I never thought I would hear them say that because they were pretty negative about school before.
0: Wow. Okay. no, my my 11 year old has not flipped over. She's definitely still happier, you know, being home.
4: I have one last thing. I mean, we had a couple other questions, but we've got so much here. But I can't help. I want to ask you what it's like to be a woman over 40 in your industry. Do you find that your experience is valued or are you coming up against like the hot young thing all the time?
0: Um... I think experience is not valued. I think I am valued because I've made enough of a name for myself and people have made my recipes and therefore they know I'm reliable, but that's not because I'm over 40 or they see that I am experienced. I feel like experience isn't that important. Um, so I am constantly coming up against the, the, you know, the next young thing. And what the next young thing says in terms of recipes or food is considered just as valid or as what I say, even though, you know, I mean, when you're over 40, you also have perspective, right? Which they don't have. But it's not for people looking at recipes. I don't think my experience as a recipe writer is what is enticing them into my recipe or giving me more respect in the field, which is, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's a bummer. Um,
4: no, it's just something we talk about a lot. So I was curious. To yeah, no, it's it yeah, no, absolutely.
0: I know. It's a great question. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's uh Ugh, but I mean, I you know, I also can put myself in the the hot, the next young things place really easily because I was that at one point, you know. So that's what Kim says. Yeah,
4: that's what Kim says all the time. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm very empathetic because I feel like I nobody got ahead quicker, you know, based on being young than I did. It gives me a lot of empathy, but at, at the same time, you all, I don't know. Do you feel like you you also kind of like have a resentment as well, <laughs> kind of coexisting. <laughs> it's impossible not to feel some resentment over the
5: fact that experience doesn't seem to have any value in our working culture anymore. It's impossible not to for me, but I'm also at peace with it. I do, you know, have my podcast, I have my blog, I have my book, which someday I will finish and all those things are satisfying enough, you know, but I would hate to have to be working in media right now as a 56 year old woman.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, anyway, I don't want to end it on a
4: bummer note, so maybe I'll... it's not all bad, but
0: it's, you know, it's mixed. So, (laughs) but we can end it on a better note. (laughs) What's a better, funner food question?
4: Um, Okay. Too many... (laughs) Pivot to too many carbs, not enough veg. This person is craving more dinner, entree, salads. Any tips, ideas, and prep how can this person eat more vegetables?
0: Yeah, no. Okay. So this is, um, you got to balance out all those cakes that you're baking and all the brownies. So I do think, you mm-hmm. know, big salady y meals. Um, it's been cold here. You know, I don't know where this person is writing from, but we've been, it's been really cold. So I've been braising my greens and doing like big pots of braised greens, like braised cabbage and braised kale. And what do you braise them in? Chicken stock. Oh, okay. But it's not a soup because there's just a little chicken stock and I use a ton of garlic and a lot of oil and they're rich and soupy and it's like this big bowl of soupy greens. I love this. And I will eat this all the time and it's really healthy. And then because it's mostly, it's only greens, you can like be like, all right, well, I'm going to add some, like a bunch of cheese or I'm going to eat like, you know, goat cheese on toast with it. Or I'm going to, you know, do a jammy egg with it. Or I'm going to put a lot of olive oil on top because the basis of what you're having is so green and healthful that you can add a little bit of richness without, you know, like putting the whole thing on pasta, which would take it to a different place, but like keeping the main part of it. But then to pivot into salads, same philosophy, because you're mostly eating vegetables, you need a little bit of richness to kind of make it feel satisfying. So nuts and olive oil, um, like a lot of oil, you know, or maybe you make that aioli or that homemade mayonnaise and you use that on top of your, or like alongside as like a dip. Um, and you just give that, those vegetables, some delicious richness to set them mm. off. Or you you crumble in some tuna or, you know, or you crumble mm. in some cheese. Anchovies. Or anchovies, <laughs> which I always do.
5: Can we talk for a minute about a jammy egg? Is a jammy egg a separate? minute egg? Mostly. Okay. Sometimes
0: it's a six minute egg, but it's an egg with a a center that's like just set and dark yellow as opposed to a hard cooked egg, which is sort of a little bit um, creamier and lighter yellow. So it's really like just at the point of being solid as opposed to a soft boiled egg. Okay. I've accomplished that. Oh, There you go. (laughs) You've jammy egged it. So, you know. (laughs) Oh, you know what's really good? Take your jammy egg And put butter on it. Soften butter right on top of your, butter your eggs. Nice. On toast? Uh No, just by itself. You can put it on toast, but you don't have to. Just egg, take your little egg, spread the butter on the yolk, salt, and pepper.
5: That sounds very decadent
0: and delicious. It's so good. Yeah,
5: that sounds really good.
4: That's a good
0: note to end on. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. (laughs)
4: That's perfect. And we didn't even get to talk about the elephant in the room, sourdough. And I'm really happy about that. I'm happy
0: to talk sourdough with you, but I also... No, I'm happy not to talk sourdough is what
4: I mean. I don't want to talk about sourdough. People are going crazy. I know. I'm living in sourdough shame. Are you? Do you Um, not sourdough? You don't? Really? No. No, because at the beginning I was like, I'm making sourdough, I'm making amazing sourdough, blah, 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 sourdough. And then I had two abject failures, and then I was like, fuck sourdough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't let yeah. that yeast be the boss of you. You you can do it. No, it is already. Um <laughs> <laughs>
4: Thank you so much, Melissa. This is the most fun I've had basically It was super fun. (laughs) Everyone should check out Dinner in French for more Melissa and her amazing recipes on New York Times cooking. Is there another way
0: you want people to find you? Um, You can find me on Instagram at Clark Bar um, and Mm -hmm. see lots of pictures of things like soupy greens and buttered jammy eggs. Nice. Thanks
4: so much for listening. Everything is fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bicassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com.